Mosey Nation, a lot of times you guys ask me about what does time to value mean? What do quick wins mean? How do we decide whether we're going to go for a high cost product or service or a low cost, high volume product or service? Are there ways that we can increase margin and provide more value? All this and more, plus how to add guarantees to your offer to make them so good people feel stupid saying no. This is the part two of the Greg Hickman podcast where we talk about agency owners, how they can market their business, and also, probably more importantly, how the small businesses those agencies are serving can productize their services in a way to get more customers saying yes at higher prices and doing so with even more margin than they ever thought of. Enjoy. Sell the farm, give away everything, get people to say yes, get people to give you money, and then we'll have cash flow that we can start solving problems with. Welcome to the game where we talk about how to get more customers, how to make more per customer, and how to keep them longer, and the many failures and lessons we have learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. That mini win, I think in the book you talked about, like you, you're getting them like a $2,000 sale in seven days or whatever. Is that just a strategy to show them that they can make 2K doing this, but it isn't necessarily, is it a piece of what they would be doing as they roll out those other things that you said felt heavier? It can, it can be either. A weight loss example, just to give a totally, like a B2C example, like we would give people basically a starvation diet for their first, you know, few weeks, even though we knew it wasn't sustainable. And we would do that because there's tons of research that supports that people actually have better long-term weight loss outcomes if they have a short-term win. So if someone loses 10 pounds in the first two weeks, now they believe me and I'm saying, hey, this isn't going to be something we can do forever. I just want to show you that our stuff works and we know what we're doing. We have this in our back pocket. This is to show you we do know what we're doing, but we do think we need to transition to this, which is going to be slower, but we're going to be able to help you lose it for good. Right. And so now it's like, but if I said, hey, it's going to be slow, we're going to help you lose it for good. It's like the SEO argument. How long am I going to wait? How much trust do I have to have? Because like everybody, knows, it's like, yeah, it's going to take six months for SEO to start working. Maybe, right? But maybe you're just a scam artist from online that's going to say that and just collect six months of billings and ne- literally do nothing. And the way that you create these early wins is, again, you look at the customers that you have had the most success with, and then you say, what did the top 10% of my customers go through? What was different about what they went through in the beginning versus what these guys went through in the beginning? And then that becomes, at least preliminarily, because you don't have any baseline, those become your activation points, which means that in the first 30 days, these are the one or two or three things that we want to deliver to every customer. And then all of the client experience and onboarding and, and customer success is geared around driving those activation points. Because we know, like, this is posthumously correlative, right? So we're looking after the fact and saying, well, these things happened here. We don't know if all of them are important, but we know that if we do all of them, we'll probably have some success. And then piece by piece, we'll discover more. And we may be able to peel some back and be like, okay, we thought this was important. They don't care about as much as this, but these two things are the main thing, right? Like in HubSpot, when they get a new customer on, they know that they have to get someone to use five different functionalities in the CRM. If they use five different functionalities or more, then the likelihood they stick is like forever, right? But you got to get them to five. Right. And so I know that in a different CRM world for uh, online trainers, because we're involved in that space too, they have to get their first five clients. So if they get five clients, they never cancel, but they need five. And we have to deliver five as fast as possible. So even if the strategy that you use to get the first five is different than you get to get the next 100, if this one happens faster, then do this one first and then earn the trust to then start this, this journey. If you want to go, cool, show them you can run paid ads and get them leads so they know you know what you're talking about and then start the SEO journey. Makes sense. Yeah. Dude, so you talk about, I believe, I forget what you called it. Maybe it was the cycle of price or the price. I forget which one it was, but it 
was tied to the delivery cube. And I've looked through the book multiple times to see if I can find where it is. And I'm like, at this point, I don't know if it was one of your YouTube videos or because I listen to everything you do, but you talk somewhere about like when you are identifying how you're going to deliver the, the solution delivery vehicle of all those problems. There's the ones, obviously you want to aim in totality, high value, low cost, which is where, you know, the ability to go to um, information and, and showing people the done with you is, is really strong. But somewhere you said, it's okay to have some high value, high cost things, totally. but like probably not more than one or two. Yes. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in, in kind of utilizing the Tesla model. So yes, we we talk about that fairly often here as well. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people get started trying to like, everyone tries to think about scale before they have value, which is silly, <laughs> right before they even know who their avatar is. Right. And I think that's just, I think it's just silly. There's no other word for it. It's just silly. And Instead, you'll have way better marketing, way better stories, know your avatar better, solve more problems, just have way more, you'll just, your hands will be, you know, you roll your sleeves up, you'll get way more dirty. You don't need to actually worry about this done for you thing being your business. Everyone has this fallacy in thinking that like the first thing they sell is the thing they're going to sell for the rest of their life. It just consider it getting paid to do R&D. That's what it is. You're getting paid to do research. And acquiring customers profitably for done for you is probably the easiest thing in the entire world because it's so easy to sell, right? It is harder to deliver. Absolutely. But if you learn how to deliver that, because you should, then doing the next level down and doing done with you or doing two levels down and doing complete DIY becomes easier because now you have the story that works and makes sense. It's like, hey, we have our done with you clients that are $20,000 a month. But if you want to just use the same system that we use and just do, and will help you along the way, you can just pay 10 grand one time and learn the whole system, you know, or get certified through us or blah, 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 blah. Right. And so it's way easier to acquire customers with high done for you because most people, and I told, I don't know if I told this, I think I told the story in a YouTube thing, but I had a friend who got laid off. He was a chiropractor and he was like, Hey man, I need to make money. And I was like, do you want to make money or do you want to be a chiropractor? He's like, I want to make money. I was like, cool. So just use the gym lunch system. So he just started selling weight loss and not even doing the chiropractor thing. And in the first uh, month or two months, he actually made no sales. And I was like, bro, what's going on? And he was like, dude, I'm still trying to get my offer right. Cause I don't want to overcommit and not be able to fulfill. And I was like, how many clients do you have? He was like zero. And I was like, why are we having this discussion? I was like, sell the farm, give away everything, get people to say yes, get people to give you money. And then we'll have cash flow that we can start solving problems with. Right. And you have no idea what your clients want. Cause you haven't fucking sold anyone yet. So like go sell some stuff. And then what happens is uh, once you have all the solutions that you plan on delivering, maybe your first couple people, you deliver everything, right? And even if you broke even on that, I'd rather break even with cash flow because once I have flow, right? Create flow, monetize flow, then add friction. So it's like, let's create the flow with a crazy offer. That's what the book's about, right? Monetize the flow because we can charge a lot for it because we're going we're gonna to go to their house. And you feel like, oh, I don't know if that's sustainable. I flew around the country for a year and a half actually going to people's gyms and working their front desk. And so people forget that. They're like, man, I want to do what Jim Lunch did, but you're not willing to do what Alex did. So you got to pick, right? Yeah. And so if you want to be in a niche, then go work the front desk, go fly out to a salon, go fly out to five salons, 10 salons, right? And yeah. learn the different markets, learn the different nuances, learn how different salons work, right? And then on your sales calls, when you do decide to make your pivot down to a more scalable model, right? You can say, listen, 80% of clinics are doing this. This is all horseshit. The 20% that drives all the profit is this. That's what I'm going to help you focus on. So then you end up trimming and stacking everything that doesn't matter out and just focusing, productizing on the most valuable, highest profit things that you discovered through the R&D that you got paid to do. Yes. For some of the newer clients that might be watching this end of the replay, this is what we tell you, tell you to do. 
in the book, you know, you, like you said, you list out all of the things, all the problems that they have and then identify solutions. And you take them to the, to the delivery cube. What are different ways, which is an amazing exercise, but something we both, I believe have similar thoughts on is to sell something up front that has a, an end date with a clear outcome. And then uh, as you call it downsell your upsell. So can you talk about like when someone has this laundry list of things that they can do, how do you figure out where to draw that line on what should the front end be? So you want consumables to be recurring and you want the one-time things to be the one-time value, right? That's the simple, simple state of mm-hmm. thing. So I actually just drew this out yesterday because I was thinking about this. So maybe this will be some off the, you might see some YouTube content on this. If I'm building, if I'm building recurring revenue, you've got physical, digital, and then you've got collateralized and consumable. And so I'm just going to go, I'm going to super zoom out and then I'm going to come back in. All right. So a simple consumable would be like toothpaste, right? No one here is really on subscription for toothpaste, but a toothpaste company gets sold by, you know, bought by Procter & Gamble for a zillion dollars. Right. And it's because you're still recurring. You're just buying once every month or whatever. Right. But it is the weakest type of recurring and it's a physical consumable, right? A level above that would be a physical that's collateralized. So razors, you buy the razor and then the consumables are the razor. You buy the printer and the consumables are the ink cartridge. You put your stuff in storage and then you have to keep paying for the storage, but there's collateral, right? They have something of yours that they're paying for. These are both in the physical realm. In the digital realm, same thing versus consumables and, uh, and things that are collateralized. So the ideal world in terms of business value is to have something that's purely digital and has collateral, which is why CRMs are so valuable because they have all your payment info, all your contacts, all your everything. And for you to leave is really hard because they have collateral. They have your stuff, right? Dropbox has all your files. So hard to leave those, right? And so to go to the consumables, that's where, what are the things that a business is going to consume on a, on a regular basis? They're going to consume financial services. So they're going to have a bookkeeper. They're going to consume marketing services. So they're going to have an agency or a media buyer, right? And so like for us, it's like, you want to sell the system as a one-time thing, and then all the things that the system consumes as the recurring thing. So you've got the machine, and then you've got inputs and outputs, right? So you build the machine for the one time, and then you sell the inputs because they need more inputs over and over again once you've helped them build the machine. And then you can price those according to what the machine that you have built for them creates. And so this is the biggest question I get all the time. I'm just going to tack it on because I figure somebody's going to ask it anyways. (laughs) My clients are broke. They can't afford what I want to charge. Well, the average gym owner makes $36,000 a year, a little less than that actually. And we charge 42, right? And that's our back-end program. Front-end program is 16. So we go 16 and then 42. That's a lot of money. And that's twice. That's 42,000 just for the record. (laughs) And so that's what they make more than what they make in a year. That's more than what they make currently, but not more than what they make once they use the machine that we have them built. So we price based on the value that we know that our machine is going to help them produce, right? And so it's the same thing where like, and this is why we were able to just crush everybody who's in the agency world because they would try and go to gym owners and sell them leads or sell them services. And they could never charge more than a thousand bucks a month because there was so little margin because gym owners weren't making any money on the leads that they had. And they get priced out over 10 bucks a lead and they say, hey, I can't do this anymore. It's 10 bucks a lead. Our guys can spend 50 bucks a lead because they make so much more money per customer because we show them how to sell high ticket, how to set up the sales room, what the offer is supposed to be. We give them all the fulfillment stuff. We show them how to sell supplements, transaction. We give them all of the help to do that so that they can liquidate the cost of acquisition or make a profit on the acquisition and sell the back end. And so the idea is you sell the system, right? And then the recurring, the downsell, the upsell is going to be the consumables of that system. In a coaching, training, consulting model that done with you, what does that look like from a consumable piece on the back end then? So we worked with agencies through Allen. So what they would sell on the agency front end was they would sell the system, 
right? That's the defined end thing. Is it by the end of this? So like, what's the clear deliverable? So let's say it's um, salon owners, right? So it's like, okay, salon owners, I'm going to help you double the average ticket of the person who walks in the door and five times the LTV by using our four-step, you know, appointment system that XYZs and we'll put physical products in and we'll, we'll show you how to add recurring with hair colorings and cuts and whatever, right? That's the system. Once they have the model, then they automatically make way more money from everything else that they ever do. Awesome. That means that we can charge more. Cool. So let's solve that problem first so that we can then price what we want. And so then what we sold on the back end was shows because that's what they consumed. They consumed shows. That's what the machine that we built them eats. It eats people walking in the door. And so we have to sell them the people that it has to eat. And so on the gym side, what we did was slightly different, but same concept is that we would test, we spent about 50,000 a month testing ads in a, a bunch of markets. We had like 10 or 20 markets that we do representative tests in. And then when we had the winners, we would just license the winners to everyone. So for them, they knew how to run ads. They had the machine, but I would immediately save them on all of the, the lost ad spend that they would normally have testing and not getting results. And so if you knew that every single ad that you had was a winner, how valuable would that be? Very. And for us, it's high margin because it's media, right? So it's hundred percent gross margins. And so that was one of the things that we had on the back end. In addition to that, it's like, what are the other problems right, that are going to come up from, you know, having this new machine. Well, now they have to hire more trainers. Well, our hiring system is going to be on the back end. You have to hire salespeople. So the, the sales scripts and the, and the ads for hiring salespeople on the back end, you're going to have to train those people. That's why we have something that we call boiler room so that all of the salespeople from all the gyms meet every morning on a call that we host to train their sales teams, right? Because that's something that's consumable that they're going to have to keep doing over and over again. So it's like, what are the activities in the business that have to continue to occur as a result of the system that we sold them? And then those are all the things that we will bundle and sell on the back end. So when people are like, I don't know what I'm going to sell on the back, it's like, it means because you haven't solved any problems on the front. Mm. Solve problems on the front, there's going to be problems on the back and you just get to solve those problems. Real quick guys, you guys already know that I don't run any ads on this and I don't sell anything. And so the only ask that I can ever have of you guys is that you help me spread the word so we can help more entrepreneurs make more money, feed their families, make better products and have better experiences for their employees and customers. And the only way we do that is if you can rate and review and share this podcast. So the single thing that I ask you to do is you can just leave a review. It'll take you 10 seconds or one type of the thumb. It would mean the absolute world to me. And more importantly, it may change the world for someone else. You obviously talk in the book about guarantees and I've seen a lot of new ads out in the marketplace with guarantees, which I'm like, Oh, they read the book. Can you talk about like, I was having a conversation with a, one of my buddies about this. Like you can obviously use a guarantee as like a sales tool. If you're selling via the phone, is that like V one of rollout is I'm going to use this as a tactic to get them over the line if there's an objection, because sometimes there is an objection where you even need to offer a guarantee, but then there's also the putting it in your marketing Mm -hmm. Is that the appropriate rollout? Like test it on call as a tool. And then if it's working, bring it out to the marketplace. Like it almost is your offer. If the guarantee can be good enough. I think that there's lots of ways to skin the cat. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to give like a, a broad sweeping generalized answer for that. Yeah. I think testing it on the phone is a good idea. And then making it the offer also works. I think there's two pieces that I, I think everyone, at least that I, I try to confer or whatever, tell people is that one for many people, a guarantee is a, is a structured risk. It's a risk where you know all the variables. So maybe you need to test it on the phone for a handful of people, see the results and then measure. But nine times out of 10, you're going to make more money having the guarantee. You will sell more people than you otherwise would have, even minus the extra returns that you'll have as a result. Most people though are still so afraid of making a guarantee that they make the contingency so, so extreme that the guarantee is worthless. 
Mm. Right. And the thing is, is if the guarantee is worthless, it's not as compelling. Right. right. So I try to guarantee things that I'm almost afraid of guaranteeing. And if I'm afraid, then it means they'll get greedy. And if they get greedy, it means I'll make money. And so big picture, here's, here's just a thought experiment that I like to demonstrate the power of it. So most of us are in B2B services who are listening to this, I would imagine. And so if you're B2B, let's say that your offer was, I'll double your profit in 30 days. I'll double your business in 30 days, whatever, right? Something crazy, right? Or I'll pay you twice the amount of money you paid me back. How difficult would it be to sell that? Not at all. And so if anyone is struggling to get customers, think about that as an extreme example, right? On the flip side, you have everyone else's stuff, which is pay me, maybe get results, maybe don't, doesn't really matter. I get paid you away. That's, that's what most people offer if you were to boil it down to soup and nuts, right? And so the question is, is there a place between extreme A and extreme B where we could peel off one or two of these things from this side, still have a really strong guarantee that's very compelling, um, and ultimately sell more and make more? Now, the underlying point of the entire book that's unspoken, which I think you picked up and a lot of people picked up is that we were like, well, if I guarantee that, what happens if they don't get the outcome? It's like, then fix the product. So this was the first book, to my knowledge, that was wrapped as a marketing book, right? But the book doesn't talk about marketing at all. It's a product book. It's a book on product, right? And so the problem is people aren't providing value. That's the problem. And that's the basic problem for all the businesses that don't make money. Because you should be able to say a really bold claim. And if you can't say a really bold claim, then solve why you can't say a really bold claim rather than not making it. So I think it's just a better question, which is like, how could we guarantee that they're going to double their income? How could we do that? Because if you ask better questions, you'll get better answers rather than having to trick people into saying, thinking it's a guarantee when it really isn't. Because yeah. that's not how you create wealth. You create wealth through value, right? And, then, and that's that, like, you can only sell people once. And this is the whole, the, the Dan Kennedy, um, most people get customers to make sales rather than make sales to get customers, right? And it sounds like a minor semantic difference, but it's important because most marketers that exist in the, in the information or internet space, which is a lot of people, right? They try to get a customer to just make a sale. That's the whole goal for them is the sale, right? Rather than I'd rather create the relationship that I can then have, have an ongoing exchange of value over and over and over again, which makes you unbeatable. It's so hard to compete against a business that, that just consistently provides more value than they charge for. But people are like, well, then I need to lower my price. You can increase the price to value discrepancy by lowering your price. You absolutely can do that. That's what Netflix does. That's what Dropbox does. That's what, I mean, like, think about $9 a month. Think about how many things that we charge on the internet that are charged for more than $9 a month that are way less viable than Netflix. A lot, right? But for most of us, we don't have tons and tons and tons of funding to be able to do that. And so the other way of doing it is increasing the value, right? And then correspondingly increasing the price to a certain degree. So you still have a discrepancy between what you charge and what they get, um, but it's still far more than what you currently are doing, which is why it's like, how do I create value? Solve all the problems they have. And you don't have to do done for you for all the problems. That's why I created the delivery cube. It's like, I, I give the example of groceries because I think it's such a simple thing everybody can understand. It's like, if you need to start losing weight, Susie's got to start buying groceries differently, right? Well, let's think of all the different ways we could solve that problem, right? We could, we could create a calculator that helps her calculate it. We could pre-make PDFs that already have the list for every week. We could, we could uh, pre-populate an Instacart that already has each week already preloaded. She clicks it with one button. We could have an uh, affiliation with a meal prep company. The first time we could do a tour with her, meet her at the grocery store and go with her at her local store. How valuable would that be? 
We could provide tech support during period of hours that when everyone goes grocery shopping, we're there to respond and show and say, hey, and they can text us if they're curious about if this can of soup or this can of soup is the right can, right? Like we could have call support. We could have, you know what I mean? All of these things are different ways to solving the same one problem. And so the idea is we do need to solve every problem or every perceived problem to get the sale, right? And then the business economics behind it is where we figure out which of these different ways of solving the problem provides the most value and has the most margin for us as a business and is most scalable. I know we have just a couple minutes left. Guys, again, if you haven't picked up his book yet, Amazon, you can get on Kindle, hard copy. He makes literally almost no money on, on any of these things. He's doing it because he's an awesome human being. <laughs> 35 cents, my friend. 35 cents. Yeah, 30, sorry. 35 cents, guys. 35 cents. But uh, a couple just random off-the-cuff quick questions. So since starting acquisition.com, right? Like you mentioned, you'd say, you know, companies above 3 million, but really it's more like 5 million. Um, and you have kind of an interesting dynamic of companies, at least from what you've told me about what types they are. What's been the most like surprising thing that you've seen from these owners as you've kind of inserted yourself into their businesses? The businesses that we work best with have a clearly defined integrator and visionary. So married couples work really well or people who have two, two partners that are clearly defined. Um, they work really well because usually we just need to fix the model and they blow up. When it's the single founder, we need to help them find that integrator operator. Um, sometimes they're in the business, but maybe they're not as strong as they should be. So that, that tends to take more time. But for most businesses that are at that three, five-ish million, we usually need to figure out a way to make the lifetime gross profit per customer higher. That's usually, which is what's the next offering, you know what I mean, that we're going to provide and how are we going to sell it? How are we going to price? How are we going to deliver on it in a way that's scalable and whatnot? And that usually will get someone from, you know, it depends on the size of the market, but you know, from 5 million to, you know, 20 or 25, that's usually the next kind of step for most of those guys. So you mentioned next offer and also to piggyback off what you said earlier, one product, one prospect, one channel to get you to a million. Pretty sure I saw Layla say on Instagram to 10, that could get you to 10 million. So with the front end, back end, like the continuity piece, do you consider the continuity more of an extension of the front end versus like it's the next offer? Like when should someone be adding continuity? Cause I know like we have a back end program and we're obviously sub 3 million, we're above one, but like, where does it make sense? And is that actually a different offer? It depends on, so I would say I would categorize them. So six ways of increasing lifetime gross profit per customer, right? Price, so increase the price, decrease the costs, get them to buy more times, upsells, cross-sells, downsells, right? Those are the, the six ways of doing it. So if we're thinking about the back end, is either an upsell or cross-sell or downsell, I would say it just depends on what the category is. So if we're delivering more of the same thing, then I would consider that a downsell because it's like downsell the upsell. It's like, it's consuming the, the thing that's going to feed the machine. And if you do that adequately, you really don't have churn because they always need the thing that feeds the machine, right? The upsells, which is usually where we will try and build some sort of upsell, but most times people try and cross-sell and that is, the, that is a mistake. That is what most entrepreneurs jump to, which is I have a distribution base, I'll sell them something else. And usually that's not the time to do it because they end up having two companies and then they're CEO of two companies and you can't be CEO of two companies because if you look at every Fortune 500, they're CEO of one company. The only exclusion is Elon and he's not actually CEO of any of them. He's the owner and founder. And so there's really no Fortune 500 company that is like, yeah, yeah I'm CEO of Home Depot and uh, Dairy Queen. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not, but we do that all the time as entrepreneurs because we think for some reason if we started in the company to solve all our problems. When in reality, we just create double the problems that we had and we still never advance past the point of our incompetence, which is where I can tell you, this is one of the themes that I've seen repeated over and over and over again. So I can drive this one, which is, you will make the amount of money based on what level of entrepreneur you are. That's like level of entrepreneur times opportunity size. That is what the amount of money that you will make. Right. And so most people entrepreneur wise 
they'll have a $3 million business and they'll start a second business and then they'll have two one and a half million dollar businesses with less profit. Mm. This happens in the brick and mortar world all the time. Yeah. They have one location that's really profitable. They start a second location, then they start a third location. Right. What happens with some of these generalist service providers that they add a different service, but arguably it's a completely different business. It's a totally different business. Exactly. And so until you can really transition to owner, which everyone thinks they are, but the reality is that they just outsource sales, but they're still CMO, they're still CEO, they're still COO, right? They still have four hats on and they think that somehow they're, because they are owners also, that they are owners exclusively when that is not the reality. Mm -hmm. And so for the companies that we're working with, like in the beginning, it's like, I'll consolidate. So we have focus, we drive the, the one channel, we maximize what we have there. So we know that we can put somebody who's in charge of that channel. Then we can take time from the owner to who's really still chief product officer, right? Also that hat um, and really create the next product offer. And sometimes it takes time. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it might take six months just to get those two things to happen. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. where, when we try and work with entrepreneurs, we want to have an extended time horizon, which is like a 12 week program is not going to help someone go from 5 million to 30 million, right. you know I mean? which yeah. is why we, we take equity in the companies that we're working with. Cause we're looking for people who are like, sometimes you have to take a step back in order to take three steps forward. And that's yes. just true. Like if you're offering six things and you have to cut five of them because they're not profitable, your revenue will drop. You'll also have to get rid of teammates that you don't need. But now the new business may be far more profitable. I'll give you one example that might just drive this home. Oh. So the first company I took on for acquisition.com had a $1.6 million, um, which is small, but I really like the guy. $1.6 million brick and mortar business and they had a $500,000 a year agency. All right, that was helping this type of brick and mortar business. And so what I told him to do was I hated the, hated the model. <laughs> so we killed the business. I killed the $500,000 a year business. It's making him money, right? We killed it. And then we started the new model, which is what we do now, which is we own all the locations. And so now we have 10 locations. We open a new location every month. And so that business went from what it was doing then to now 14 months later, it's doing 200,000 a week. <laughs> right. But for the first 90 days, revenue went down. But it's like, it's a, that's why I'm there too, to be like, breathe. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> like, it's fine. Like you see where we're going. Like you see how things are getting simpler. Like we have to get simpler, pare down, focus. And then we can have the explosive growth because it's really easy to do one thing a hundred times. It's very hard to do one thing, a uh, hundred things one time, mm -hmm. which is what most people do in their businesses, especially all the custom guys. You'll never sell the business. You'll never scale the business. It's horrible. Yeah. Last question before you tell us again, where we can go for all the free stuff. And, and also I think you should share why you're doing this. Cause I think it's really awesome. So again, this is more of a selfish one, but like training coaching space, what do you feel like we're all missing that we need to get right in order to kind of build something of substance? Most people haven't done it. I mean, most, like if we're being super real, most people haven't done the thing that they're selling they how to do. I mean, how many business coaches who talk about scaling a business that never scaled a business before they started? Right. Like just a, you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's the real real. It's because everyone, everyone's so status driven and everyone wants, to, everyone wants to appear successful before they actually are. Everyone wants to fake it till they make it. But I'll tell you, if you make it, you don't have to fake it. And so the whole thing with acquisition.com is Layla and I have probably taken about 45 million in dividends out of the businesses over the last four or five years. And the new chapter, I feel like is the, the scorecard is changing for me from revenue and profit to just kind of like meaning and things that I, that I drive joy from. And so I thought, what is the most valuable thing that I can give to the marketplace besides money? Now we donate, you know, we donate a couple million bucks over the last two years to charities that we find meaning in, which are usually ed education-based. But like, I believe education is the thing that's going to set everyone free. And so I think that most of us, anybody who went to like formal college was kind of gypped. I think if you can have, if you make the same money after a four-year, 200,000, imagine a four-year, $200,000 coaching program that you made the exact same money afterwards. It's ridiculous. And no one yeah. calls it a scam, which is hilarious to me. 
But anyways, so my thought process is, can I give, and you know, the people who are teaching business never had a business, like all sorts of stuff, right? In the colleges too. But the most valuable thing I can do to the marketplace is give all the, the experiences, the skills, the traits, and the beliefs that have shaped where we are now to everyone. And I know that with media, I can give that all away for free at no cost. And so the whole idea with acquisition.com is just give away more value for free than other people charge for. I mean, it's, uh, that's the that's the strategy. And then hopefully get people from zero to you know three, five million on their own with no assistance. And if you're the type of person that doesn't need assistance and was able to use the stuff that we gave, then you'd be a perfect fit for the type of business that I want to you know invest in and then help grow to the next thing because I know that you won't need the handhold, right? And so you right. know my works, I know that you work. And so as a result, we can kind of work off of shared shared trust. And you know the, the downside risk for me is that I just help a lot of people for free, which- I love it, man. Well, that's we great. all appreciate it. I know I, I appreciate it. Guys, if you haven't gotten the book, I'll drop links in the thread below this, but definitely download the book or all three. Growth Hack, read the book while listening to the audio book at the same time. Learn that from Alex himself and you'll read the book a whole lot faster. Uh, thanks again, man. Really appreciate you. No, you bet. And just for everyone, acquisition.com, you don't have to opt in anything. So. Slash training. Yeah, slash training. You don't have to opt in anything. You can just click there. And if you see that there's locked courses, because I just haven't made them yet. But yeah, you can go there. You can watch all of them. There's downloads and everything. You just take them. Awesome, man. Thanks again. We appreciate you. You bet. Appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.